I'm Jill Shaw, and you're listening to Last Night at School Committee. Ross Wilson and I are here to summarize for you what happened last night during the Boston Public Schools School Committee meeting. What happens at each school committee meeting has big implications for our students and our city, and this podcast shines a light on the decisions our leaders are making. Ross, good morning. Good morning, Jill. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm very good. Uh, Jill, before we get into the content of last night's meeting, there's been some really important news about BPS over the last week. That's right. Boston Superintendent Brenda Casilius announced last week that she was resigning from her position and would be stepping down at the end of the school year. Ross, what do we know about her departure? Well, last Monday, the superintendent, Chairperson Robinson, and Mayor Wu put out statements announcing the superintendent's resignation and stating that it was a mutual decision. Right. But then in a press conference the next day, the superintendent expressed that she anticipated this might happen when the new mayor was elected, saying it's common for new leaders to want to appoint their own team members. By the way, Ross, we talked about this in a podcast a while ago when the school committee was scrambling to renew Brenda Casilius's contract last summer under what seemed like a manufactured timeline, which they missed by a matter of days. In fact, if I recall correctly, past committee member Ernani Diarugio wanted to hold off on renewing her contract, and he was ultimately the only school committee member to vote no on extending her contract another two years. That contract ultimately guides the amount of her payout, which could be as much as 450000 of your and my tax dollars. So, Jill, back in June, and this is not that long ago because it was right before the beginning of the school year, there was this debate around should we extend the superintendent's contract by two years? She missed renewing her license, and then there was a mayoral election in November. So this is just a few months away. And so the conversation there, the debate was, should we renew her contract for another two years given that there'll be a new mayor in November? Right. And so after all that debate, they decided to move forward with a two-year contract. Now, if that was not done her contract would have been extended by one year. It would have ended in the June of this school year. It would be a very different conversation, Jill, because th- there would be no need for a separation agreement because her contract would have ended. Right. What we know is that Superintendent Caselius started in July of 2019 with a pledge to stay for a very long time. And then less than a year into her tenure, we were hit with the pandemic. The last two years have been hard on everyone and really particularly teachers, school leaders, and the families they serve. I can't imagine a more difficult position for a new superintendent to be in, and she deserves a lot of credit for how hard she's worked throughout this crisis. And she's not alone. Across the country, we're seeing school leaders and other leaders of major academic organizations stepping down after an incredibly tumultuous few years. And when you pair that with a new ambitious mayor who is committed to bringing change to the district, it makes a lot of sense what we heard last week about the superintendent moving on. Yeah, no, it does. I mean, we are seeing that even in our city. There are a number of big academic institutions where folks announce that they're stepping down. So then last night's meeting began, as always, with the superintendent's report. She began by talking about a new COVID-19 testing policy that will be in effect next month. Ross, what's the new policy? Right. So, Jill, this policy is essentially following the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education recommendations. There will continue to be pooled testing in schools. This is PCR pooled testing once a week. If any of those pools are positive, they'll continue to be followed up with antigen tests to determine who are the kids who are positive in those pools. But in addition to that, Jill, there'll be antigen tests that will be sent home to every family for testing at home once a week. And there'll be no more test and stay. That will be put aside. And essentially, this is following the best practices of what we're seeing around the country at this point. And then lastly, Jill, I should say that all students and all families will receive at-home testing packets for students 
prior to the February break, which is actually next week. And families can use those tests uh, before students return from February vacation week. So this new practice has been in place in a bunch of districts across the state for a while now, and it's working, right? For a few weeks, and it it seems to be working well. That's good. It's good to see Boston adopting it. The superintendent then went on to discuss masking in schools. Governor Baker recently lifted the statewide school mask mandate, leaving it up to individual districts to determine if they want to keep masking. Mayor Wu has previously announced that the Boston Public Schools will keep the mask mandate for now, and last night the superintendent affirmed this decision. We also heard from student representative Zyra Mercer that students have been pretty good about complying with the mandate. The next topic addressed by the superintendent's report was the Acceleration Academies. That will take place during February break. Ross, remind us, what's an Acceleration Academy? So Jill, for February vacation week and April school vacation week, the district and the state have done these things called acceleration academies where students go to school for four or five days with uh, teachers at their school or great teachers from other schools will be teaching them. And this practice was put into place, I think, for most of the district last year during remote learning. And then we'll actually start again next week in the February vacation week. What we know is about 67 schools are offering acceleration academies at their schools. So about half the schools are not. Uh, But we did hear that those schools who are not offering acceleration academies uh, are offering other supports for their students. Might be. Might be, right? right? So it could be potentially uh, tutoring after school or, or, or other options. We haven't heard much about April yet and what the plan is. And, you know, of course, we haven't heard anything about summer yet. Right. Basically, last night, the superintendent previewed the announcements about summer programming that would be coming in March. It's important, really, Jill, for for PPS to start this planning for summer as soon as possible. You recall, you know, we had this long discussion about summer last year. Months ahead of time, the superintendent had promised that every student would have a plan for summer. And the district really under-delivered on that promise, where many students did not have programming offered to them. Um, There was seats unfilled, poor communication, so on and so forth, and a lot of excuses. So I hope, you know, now, now we're almost in March, that the conversation about summer starts now and is actually followed through on. Right, because families are starting to plan for summer now. Right, they can't wait. And, you know, we can't be in a position like we were last year. That's right. Following the report, there were some good questions from members of the school committee. The one thing that this school committee made a point of doing last night was circling back to some of the outstanding questions from the last meeting. This hasn't always been the case, and important issues have occasionally fallen off the radar as new pressing concerns have emerged. But last night, members made a point of holding the superintendent and her team accountable for the action items from the last meeting, including this question from Brandon Cardet Hernandez. I'm wondering if we're seeing any enrollment trends as we're entering registration season, and we've seen sort of the priority application window open for our earliest grades. And if there's anything of note that you're ready to share with us as we think about the future, but also as we're starting to engage in the budget process. The superintendent referred that question to Acting Chief Denise Snyder, who said that they don't have any information to share yet. It seems a little surprising that the district isn't paying attention to these numbers, given that, as Mr. Cardet Hernandez said, they have implications for this year's budget. And Mr. Cardet Hernandez later followed up on other topics from last meeting asking these questions. Just want to know um, where we are in thinking about the questions we asked in the, the last meeting around the graduation numbers and the rollout of some of those new reforms that we were thinking 
about in order to maintain quality. So I just want to throw it out there. It's not necessarily a question unless you have an update, but I want to make sure it sort of exists in the conversation, um, as I know folks remain interested, including myself. The superintendent indicated that her team is still working on answering these questions, and she did not provide further detail last night. After the superintendent's report, the agenda for last night included a report on the tentative agreement between the Boston Public Schools and the Boston Teachers Union regarding Mayor Wu's vaccine mandate, but the superintendent announced last night that this report is being tabled for the time being. So, Jill, about an hour before the meeting last night, a court announced that they were not upholding Mayor Wu's vaccine mandate for city employees. And this has implications for the MOU between the Boston Teachers Union and the school district. And this MOU last night, essentially, that was going to be presented to the school committee, stated that if there was a vaccine mandate for all city employees, the Boston Teachers Union members who were not vaccinated could continue to stay in their positions as long as they were testing at least once a week. Now, this depended, the the MOU sort of also stated that if the numbers of coronavirus go up dramatically, those staff members may need to take a leave of absence until the numbers declined. So basically, we heard last night that this MOU may not be necessary, I guess, as there may not be a vaccine mandate uh, upheld by the courts. But people still commented on it. The meeting moved on to public comment, and there were lots of comments from teachers against the vaccination agreement, thanking the school committee for tabling the issue and calling on them to reject the agreement if it comes up for a vote in the future. In addition, last night, there were comments from students and parents of the P.A. Shaw Elementary School, yet again, and the Boston Day and Evening Academy. And there were several commenters objecting to the proposed $450,000 payment to Superintendent Casilius as part of the terms of her departure. So, Jill, we've talked about the P.A. Shaw over the last number of episodes. And again, last night, we heard directly from students about how incredible the school is. The P.A. Shaw currently goes through grade three. It was supposed to expand through grade five, but that expansion was paused in 2018 with no explanation. And despite this issue coming up multiple times over the past few school committee meetings, no explanation was given at the meetings to explain the 2018 pause. In fact, it wasn't until the budget hearing last week that we first heard a justification for why this happened. Here's what CFO Nate Cooter said at last week's budget hearing. The strategic planning unit decided to open at the time two K-2 classrooms and open it as a double-strand school. If they had really thought through the full progression of the school, or maybe they did and just had aspirational plans, they would have seen that that K-5 to never fit in the building. And so in 2018, when we notified the school that they would not be expanding to K-5, to we were basically giving them information that we could have told them years before. And then since then, it is very clear that we have not done a good job communicating and making sure people are clear that the configuration promises that were made nearly a decade ago were not changing. And we announced that three, four years ago. So, Ross, CFO Cooter essentially said that the expansion of the school through fifth grade was promised to the community, but was actually never feasible because of the size of the P.A. Shaw school building. It's such a powerful example of how hard it is to run a $1.3 billion district with 125 schools if you don't have a strategic plan. That's right. I mean, last week we talked in this podcast about the importance of trust. And it certainly undercuts the trust of parents 
that they have in the district when you hear false promises like the ones have been made. Right. Promises that were never feasible in the first place. This has happened over and over and over again. I mean, this this includes the Edward M. Kennedy School. It includes the Horace Mann School for the Deaf. Mm -hmm. um, we heard last night from Boston Dane Evening Academy that they also are concerned about where their building will go. So Jill, the Boston Dane Evening Academy has a program called Boston Dane Evening Academy 2. And that program is currently housed at the Timothy School. We learned at the end of 2021, the Timothy would be closing. The BDA community wants to be assured that they're gonna be able to remain in a stable location and continue to receive adequate staffing and resources. Here's what one Boston Dane Evening Academy board member and teacher at 2.0 who provided public comment said. We serve some of the city's most overlooked and underserved populations. And because of this, we take every effort to implement a trauma-centered approach. One part of this approach is ensuring that students have clear expectations about what will happen next. Since the school committee announced the closing of the Timothy, we have been able to tell our students what, would, what to expect next. We ask that the school committee grant us the peace of mind and having a reasonable assurance that we'll be able to return to the building that we've grown to see as our home. We know that COVID has had an uh, impact on communities of color um, that we're going to continue to feel for some time moving forward. And because of the learning loss, we anticipate the demand for alternative ed to increase over time. Because of this, we are asking the board to consider a request for the same thing that every other high school student has in the district, which is a classroom that is appropriately sized, uh, fitness areas, uh, access to quality food, and provide space for counseling. Come on, school committee. How can this even be a discussion that has to be brought up to public comment? Where is the strategic plan? Our students and our families need assurances. All that BDA2, a program that is proven to work for our most vulnerable students, is asking for is classrooms, a fitness facility, and quality food. These are basic necessities for a school. Who's making the decisions that prevent our students from predictably having these fundamental things? At every meeting, we hear from parents, teachers, and students at different school communities pleading with the school committee to give them access to basic necessities. Here's another from a community leader, Sharon Hinton. What do we get from thousands of hours of testimonies? A lot of questions, including a $450,000 question. Questions, but no answers, just more concerns for parents, students, and teachers at the PA Shaw, the King, the Timothy, Madison Park, and so many others. Maybe the return to an all-elected school committee is the answer. Maybe not. Over 90,000 voters think so. Maybe a superintendent from Boston or at least Massachusetts who grew up here and knows our history will work. Maybe seconds. not. Who knows? At this time, we all know one thing. Whatever this is, is not working. And it's broken. And it's been broken for a long time. At every school committee meeting, we hear another issue. We'll continue to see the district operate in emergency mode until there is a strategic plan that allows a leader to lead and that brings us together to understand where we are going. Yes, Ross, I totally agree. After public comment, the committee unanimously approved the nominations of Rafaela Polanco Garcia and Roxy Harvey to serve on the English Language Learners Task Force. And then the meeting moved on to the two reports on the agenda for the evening. The first report involved extended pay for four BPS schools. Ross, what was that report all about? So Jill, these are four Horace Mann charter schools that had a different pay structure essentially than every other school in, this, in the school system. A few years ago, the school district created a new pay structure that included longer days 
for the majority of our students. These four schools, because they're Horace Mann charters, were not part of that agreement. Basically, last night, the vote enabled these four schools to have the same pay structure for that time than every other school in the district. It should be noted, though, that when asked how this came about, how did you learn about this disparity? The school system said, well, this was bought up by the school leaders who were advocating on behalf of their schools. So it gives you further like sense of who's paying attention to this in the district. Right, exactly. And then the second and final report of the evening came from Glenn Kucher, who is the executive director of the Massachusetts Association of School Committees. He outlined best practices in searching for a new superintendent and then seemed to say that this was going to be a very difficult search. But then again, maybe not. Here is some of the advice he offered to the members about recruiting the next superintendent. Everybody wants to help you do the job. Uh, The media is all over you. It's a highly visible uh, position where there's a lot of pressure that goes with it. So as I say, the number of applications has not been what it had been in the past. And then he says this about how people have historically used our city. There are a lot of people around the country who've passed through Boston on the way to their careers. And this piece of advice. Uh, I'd also recommend that the interviews be as long as necessary and as diligent as possible. There are people out there who are very good at answering questions, who may not be as good applying their skills to the superintendency. Seems right on, but Roz, who is going to want this job? Well, Jill, hopefully it's not just somebody who's passing through Boston on the way to their career. Yeah. Um, you know, th- that was a really concerning comment, but I, I feel like that is not what we need. We don't need somebody who's just passing through Boston using it as a stepping stone to something else in their career. What we need is somebody who's willing to take on the hard work to unite our city and bring some coherence to our school system. Our enrollment has drastically declined. We are having a really hard time finding staff for positions. Right. We have Esser Cliff coming up in two years. So we have a a huge amount of soft landings in schools that are kind of masking some really structural problems in our city. We have enrollment projections, which show us even at the highest watermark level are dramatically decreasing even for the next for the next 10 years. Meaning our budget is probably being planned to spend way too much money. There will be a massive physical cliff on the horizon. There is potential receivership chill by the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education being threatened. There's questions around data, like accuracy of data and graduation data in particular. There's a movement to change the governance structure of the school committee from appointed to elected. So a new superintendent wouldn't even know who they're, are they reporting to an appointed committee or reporting to an elected committee? Who knows? We have a lot of facility issues as we hear about week after week Edward M. Kennedy, BDEA, the Shaw, um, the Horace Mann School for the Deaf, over and over again, we hear about these issues of facilities because there is no master plan. And essentially all of this is going to come to a head in two years. The, this, the next two years, Jill, there'll be plenty of ESSER money. There'll be plenty of opportunity to mask a lot of these problems. But whoever becomes superintendent of our district, and hopefully they're not just passing through for two years and then leaving before the ESSER cliff happens, they will have to deal with this fundamental structural problem in our city. Yeah, this is going to be very complicated. And Chair Jerry Robinson summed up the process going forward by saying that they, the school committee, are soon to be releasing an RFP for the search consultant and that March 2nd will be the next public meeting on that search. Jill, this was incredibly disappointing because last night I was excited for the school committee to present some plan, at least something to react to. Well, here's how we're going to find that person who's facing all of these challenges but has two years to float 
on yeah. while we do have this ESSER money and how, let's spend it correctly. How about just a discussion from the school committee members about um, who do we want? Right. What kind of person do we want? Right. What is the work that's ahead of them? What let's do we outline need to do it. to attract that person? Right. Like, like start something. Rather, what we heard last night was uh, Mr. Kucher telling us that many people use Boston as a stepping stone. They kind of cruise through. Uh, good luck trying to find somebody. And then we heard our school committee saying, oh, we'll hear more on March 2nd. Right. But don't worry, we'll have somebody by June. Right. They're, they're, I'm highly concerned, Jill, that there won't be somebody in place by June. It just, it's, it's, it's going to be really tough. The meeting ended with a question from Dr. Alkins, who was again focused on ensuring the superintendent and her team are held accountable to the school community members who came before the committee. Here's Dr. Alkins. Um, just in the sense of making sure that we're always following up on some of the things that we we do here. Um, you know, just for example, hearing um, in the public testimony about sort of the current plans for BDEA. Um, is there any way that we can receive some type of follow-up so that we know that they've received some communication around what the plans are for them next year? just so that we're aware of this. And, you know, this might not be a question anyone can answer, but I just want to make sure that we are following up with these respective school communities. So Jill, these new school community members aren't going to allow critical issues to just fade away. It's good that the community can rely on them to ensure the balls don't get dropped. Perhaps this will even lead to a strategic plan. But Jill, most importantly, what we need to be thinking about and focusing on as a city is how to unite around who should be leading our district. Who is the next superintendent going to be? How do the citizens, the parents, the teachers, the community activists, the school leaders all come around together and bring our city together to say, this is who we want to lead our district to do this work, define that work, the hard work that's ahead of us. This is going to be critical, Jill. We'll touch upon it next time we meet on March 2nd. And that's what happened last night at Boston Public Schools School Committee meeting. Here are some of the questions that we think are worth asking. How many students applied to schools in the first round? How many students applied to exam schools this year? Students and families should begin hearing about admissions results around the end of March, but there should be data now on the total number of applicants. What is the long-term plan for BPS school buildings and school communities? School committee members continue to ask this question. The superintendent last year mentioned an RFP to create a campus master plan, which we still have not seen. Will there be a master campus planning process? What kind of leader are we looking for to run the Boston Public Schools? And how will the community come together to support the hiring of the right leader? And then how will the community support the right person once they are hired? And what if... Not all of this is wrapped up by June. Will an interim superintendent be appointed? And of course, there are always ways to get involved and engage. Testify at the next school committee meeting and share your thoughts on how to address the issues facing your school. Attend a budget hearing in the next few weeks before a finalized budget is presented to school committee. There will be meetings on March 1st and 16th, each at 5 p.m. on Zoom. And sign up for our email list at shawfoundation.org to provide feedback on this podcast, receive updates on our work, and be notified when new podcast episodes are available. Thank you for listening to Last Night at School Committee. We hope that you enjoyed today's podcast. And if you did, please rate, review, like, and share it with your fellow friends, parents, and residents of Boston. We all have a stake in the future success of Boston students. Have a great day.